The Courage to Lead, episode 243. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Alex Brookman. Alex Brookman is a board director, strategy facilitator, speaker, and author. He works at the intersection of strategy, leadership, performance, and empowerment. Alex's new books, Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs and The Strategy Legacy, have received near ecstatic advanced praise from entrepreneurs, corporate leaders, and leading academics alike. Alex has impacted thousands of business leaders across the world, from multinationals to startups. He holds degrees and certificates in management, leadership, and strategy from EBS, the European Business School in Germany, INSEAD from France, and Harvard Business School here in the U.S. Alex, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me, Harlan. I'm excited yeah, to be here. Absolutely. No, we talked the other day and I'm excited for this uh, this conversation. I love where you talk about the intersection of strategy, leadership, performance, and empowerment. It's, I'm seeing like a Venn diagram, right? Where the four circles overlap. And it's at that point right in the middle, that diamond right in the center. That's where the magic happens. But at first, you have to have those pieces actually working in your business, right? And it's very simple. Um, to think you have them working and um, not digging into your reality uh, deep enough because what you might find could scare you or you don't like it. So um, far too often we just think we are really good when it comes to empowerment or really good when it comes to leadership. And then when we take a deeper look, we find the, you know, the dead bodies in the closets that we need to get rid of. <laughs> yes. It's like asking somebody about uh, drivers on the freeway. They say everybody is a bad driver, but they are the best driver, right? Sure. They don't know what their flaws are until, and that's our job, I guess, to, to help point those out. Um, very cool. Well, I'm anxious to get into all this stuff. Talk about this. Talk about how you got your start, who you work with and everything. Talk about your books. Um, but before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I like to ask each one of my guests. Uh, listeners know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Alex, if you're ready, <laughs> 10 questions for you, sir. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? I think it's one of those um, really non-existent words that my three-year-old uses all the time, that we just don't know what it is. Um, I think he means a different, but what he says is avashis, which doesn't make any sense. Very good. Love it. All right. What is your least favorite word? <laughs> oh my God. Where do I even start? I think um, to pivot. It's mm. a word that has been overused during the pandemic um, to cover up that your own business was not prepared or that your own career was not prepared for an external hit like that. And the pandemic is just an example. It could have been anything else. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of people have used this word to describe that they just had to stop doing what they were doing and do something else. Sure. I think the word has a different meaning um, in itself and it was it's just overused. Yeah, yeah I agree. Absolutely. All right. Uh, what turns you on? 
a good conversation with my two best friends in Germany. Um, so I'm Germany. Uh, I'm German. Originally, I moved to Canada three years ago, and I, I we, we were able to keep a very close relationship. And that is something that I really value. Nice. Very cool. All right. What turns you off? Annoying drivers. Um, like <laughs> I used to be, I, I wouldn't say a reckless driver, but in my younger days, I'd, I sometimes thought I might be Michael Schumacher, if you know what I mean. But now that I have a kid in the backseat, my driving has completely changed. And I just realize now how dangerous some people drive. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of things change when you have your kid. Absolutely. All right. What sound or noise do you love? Oh my God, metal. Just as loud as it gets, guitars, drums, give it to me. Um, it wakes me up in the morning and it fires me up during the day. Nice. All right. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, any sounds that mobile phones make. I think I haven't had my mobile phone. My mobile phone has been on silent since I, mm -hmm. since I remember. So I think for the past 20 years, I have no idea what sounds my phone makes. <laughs> oh. I used to hate that sitting in the airport waiting for my flight and somebody's going through all the different ringtones. Oh yeah. Like, awesome. Please. Really wonderful. Yes. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? It's the German word for human excrements, um, which I use <laughs> all the time. <laughs> uh, obviously only when my son is not around. Sure. Yeah. They pick things up even, even if they're not in the same room. They still oh, yeah. learn. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? If I had the opportunity to wind back time, I would probably study history, um, modern history, because I think it's extremely interesting to understand how politics, um, his, uh, sorry, economics, and um, yeah, let's say climate are inter mm. interwoven. And to understand that better and to understand why people move from A to B, what are the consequences for the economies they leave, the consequences for the economies they, they come into, and also the political challenges. I think we've seen in the, in the recent history a lot of that, but that's not, that's not a new phenomenon. We've had that for thousands of years, and I would, lo I would love to really dig into that. Nice. That'd be awesome. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Um. I think undertaker is my least favorite profession. Yes, I'm with you. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Finally, <laughs> I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Good job. All right, Alex, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about how you got your start, how you got to where you are now, um, who you work with, how you help them. We're going to talk about your books, other things you have going on. And at some point, we'll transition into courage and leadership. All right. So listeners, we'll be talking about all that and more right after this. So stick with us. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, make sure you share it with your family, friends, colleagues. Uh, like it, leave a review, and definitely subscribe. When you subscribe, that helps boost the podcast to where it's uh, seen and heard in a lot of different areas. So make sure you hit that uh, subscribe button and subscribe. And uh, again, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. And I'm back with my guest, Alex Bergman. Alex, thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule to work with us. So you say you're originally from Germany. I think I picked that up in the accent. Um, whereabouts are you now? Where do you live now? We live in Vancouver, outside of Vancouver in beautiful uh, British Columbia, Canada. Beautiful. Love that area. Absolutely. All right. So uh, 
Did you know at an early age that you wanted to be a leadership consultant focused on strategy or did you have other plans? I think until 15 years ago, I didn't even know that this job existed <laughs> or this this kind of profession um, paid well enough to live of it. It um, it never was my plan. I'm originally a radio journalist, so a music journalist and radio host. I designed and uh, hosted radio shows nice. um, in my early mid-20s, which I loved. But, you know, you realize at some point in time, you ask these questions, is that what I want to do for the rest of my life? If I could learn something new, what would that be? And sometimes it takes an external shock. In my case, it was 9-11. 9-11, um, the aftermath of 9-11 was really difficult for many companies um, in the in the media sector because, you know, they are financed by ad money. And when industries struggle or the economic environment becomes um, unpredictable, companies don't like to spend that much money which meant um, our company got under financial pressure and I got laid off, which mm -hmm. was a wonderful opportunity for me to rethink what I want to do. And I went back to school. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about university. I'm really talking about back to school. I had to get my high school degree at that point in time wow. to okay. have the opportunity to go to university. So in total, it was six, seven years of um, back to school studying and I graduated from European Business School with a degree in general management that basically allowed me to choose an, an entirely new path because it was open wide at that point in time. Do I want to go into HR? Do I want to go into um, a more generalistic um, career? Do I want to go supply chain? You know what? Mm -hmm. And um, at that point in time, you just roll the dice. And I had an opportunity to join a company, a media company, one of the biggest in the world. Funnily enough, again, media, but this time not on the content creator side, but on the management side. And over several years, I had the opportunity to work with a management team that was going through a transition in the industry they were in. So strategy became a very important topic for them. And I was working sort of as the right hand of the CEO and just learned so much during that time that... After several years, I realized, hmm, strategy and leadership are really interesting topics. I might want to focus on that, which was interesting because honestly speaking, in university, that was not my favorite subject at all. Yeah. But now that it had real people, real businesses, um, it became very, very intriguing for me. Absolutely. And they are intertwined, right? Because the leader has to have a strategy. They have to have a vision. They have to know where they want to take the company before they can make the, the right decisions and, and see those opportunities that come up. Um, so about how long ago was it that you found your, yourself on this path, strategy and leadership? That happened around 15 years ago. Okay, nice. Um, yeah, so working with these leaders, what was the first thing that you learned about the, the, the combination or the, or the interweaving of strategy and leadership? What were they working on at the time that got you, got you hooked? I think the first like lively memory that I have of that time is how difficult it was to bring especially middle management over to let's say the visionary side of things to embrace a new reality um that was not a vision it was there already but you know uh, uh, just having them embrace the reality was already difficult, let alone helping them see how the business needed to change over the next three to five years. And that that role of middle management 
that was it was hard for me to accept um that they can make or break a business they can make or break a strategy it doesn't even even matter how visionary that the c-suite is if they are unable through leadership to bring the rest of the middle management with them it will be very difficult to almost impossible to really change the company absolutely yeah, and we talked earlier about alignment, how important it is to make sure that all your leaders are aligned, even your your you know managers. There's that kind of strata. You've got the the strategic thinking above and then the tactical, right? The application of that strategy or, or the implementation of that strategy. If you don't have all those pieces aligned, nothing's going to happen, right? Um, I've worked at one company where in the big meeting with the leadership team, all the VPs sitting around the table and everything, everybody's shaking their head, yes, this mm -hmm. is what we're going to do. Yes, it's yeah. going to be great. But then individually, when you have a conversation, they said, yeah, I don't think this is the right direction for us. It's like, well, they're all pulling different directions, which is pulling resources, pulling, you know, it, it just doesn't work. You have to get everybody aligned, pulling the same way. Um, and then you and I talked also, we hear a lot about strategic planning, but it really starts with the actual strategy. If you don't have a strategy, what are you planning, right? Yeah, it's so, funny that you would say that the, this, the term strategic planning and the term strategy are used interchangeably all the time. And I'm sure I do this This at some points. Uh, I, I do it as well. So it's a mistake we're all prone to. Um, but the thing is, if we if we use this terminology, if we use this terminology in a way that is too vague, we do not help people understand what we actually talk about. So it's it's super, super tricky for a business leader to use these words just as they come it's important that you define terminology for your business. So when, for example, when you use the term strategy, what you actually should refer to is the vision you have for your business and the priorities that you set for the business. Nice. When you use the term strategic planning, you take these opportunities that you have, benchmark them against your priorities and ask yourself, what is it that, who does what by when, basically. Yeah. It's a different set of skills that you need when you create and define these priorities versus you take them as a guideline and then define who does what by when. So one is external. The strategy looks to the outside. It looks to clients. It looks to market. It looks to opportunities in the future. It is uncertain by nature versus strategic planning which we need sort of as human beings because we don't like the uncertainty. We give us a plan that creates the illusion of control sort of, which looks to the inside of the company internally, who does what by when, which resources go to which project. Um, it's all about creating a sense of security. It looks... It's it's different viewpoints. It's different points in time. It's internal versus external. It's it's control versus um, yeah, just chaos, uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, working with my clients, we do a lot of the same thing where we sit down and talk about. We do a SWOT analysis. What are your strengths? Are you playing to your strengths? Right, weaknesses. What what should we be looking at to help build you know new strengths? What are the things that you don't do quite as well as you should, or or don't take uh, advantage of that you should. And then those opportunities that they should be at. That's, I know you you said you didn't like the term pivot, and I, I agree with you. It's totally overused. 
But when things like that external hit from COVID happens, you should just look at what are our strengths? What can we do with these strengths, right? If this is blocked off to us, what else are we good at that we can continue doing? It's not really a, I mean, I understand why they use the term pivot, but really it shouldn't be a surprise to you. You know, yeah. you shouldn't, you shouldn't be, you know, knocked off your feet by this. It, it should be something that, hey, we saw something like this could happen. So we have a plan B in place, you know. I agree. Hmm. Interesting. So some of the clients you work with, do you, do you work with a certain niche or is it a certain size business? Who do you work for? Honestly speaking, most of the businesses that I work with are nine-figure businesses or larger because um, they have the need to align an executive team and their business strategy, bring this all together, align their resources in the best possible way. Um, that should not mean that smaller businesses don't have that need. But very often what I found is that these businesses are not the right type of customer for me personally, um, be it because um, their time horizon doesn't match my philosophy. So strategy and leadership is not a workshop. It is okay. a, a process that you go through that takes time to embrace. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, some companies understand that and others don't and um, that doesn't have to do with company size, of course, but the more professionally a business is being run, the more people understand that aligning leadership and strategy, first of all, is necessary. And second of all, that this is not a one-time workshop, but a process right. that takes time and several interventions and several approaches ranging from workshops to training to coaching. And these are very, very different in nature. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of company size I work with. Industry-wise, it ranges from pharmaceuticals to automotive to uh, manufacturing. Um, it's basically, it, it doesn't really matter because as a facilitator, I don't even pretend to understand your industry or your business. And sure. the good thing is I don't have to. It's actually right. even dangerous if I understand the industry too much because I get biased and it's very... Uh, tempting to ask guiding questions, which I shouldn't do. Um, so my right. job is not to tell you what to do. My job is to come into a company and create the space where you and your executive team can take the decisions that bring the company to where you want it to be. Nice. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because you're right. As as a coach, um, consultant, I don't have to know your business and and I shouldn't know your business because I, I, I'll start driving you the way I think you should do things. Right. I want to look at what you do and are you being efficient at it? I can bring um, expertise from other industries that I've worked with. Say, hey, I saw them do this over here, you know, this way in this industry, they did it that way. Make recommendations and stuff, but really it's trying to get them to use what they have as efficiently as possible. And you're right, this is not a one and done. These strategic meetings should be ongoing, right? Any plan you put together should be something that is a living document. I, my clients, we go over it every quarter did we live up to our plan that quarter? What did we do? What should we do differently, right? And then what are our goals for this quarter to make sure we're still on track and looking at that big goal? Is that really where we're headed still? And things change. You know, in insurance, we hear if you ever have a life event, review your insurance, make sure it covers everything, right? You buy a house, you get married, you have a child. You want to relook at that, revisit it to see, is this covering us? Same thing with that strategy. If you have a, a change in strategy, if you uh, acquire a smaller business, Look at it. Does it give you other opportunities that maybe weren't available when you first put the plan together and, and then uh, revisit? Yeah. 
That's exciting. I like that. I like that stuff. Very cool. Um, let's talk about your books. You've got a book out currently, right? The Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs. Tell me about that book. How did that come about? That is an interesting book because I didn't write it on my own. Um, so I see myself as curator of great ideas sometimes. So, and that book is a, a manifestation of that. So it's the, the physical product that came to life at the back end of a three-day summit that I ran more than a year ago nice. um, with more than 50, 40 speakers from across the world. And um, nine of these speakers, I asked whether they would be willing to co-create that book with me. So we took the conversations that I had with them during the summit as a jump-off point to create chapters for nice. that book. So in total, you have 11 chapters in the book and nine of, nine of which were contributed by um, really, really interesting people. Some of them absolute um, luminaries in their, in their space, like um, Dr. Herman Simon, who is the world's foremost expert on strategic pricing. So mm. we talk about strategic pricing in that current high inflation environment that we're in. It's a very actionable uh, book. So it's not a theoretic textbook, but actually every chapter comes with very specific things um, and advice that you can put into nice. practice right away. Um, so the book is structured in three themes. One is around hard skills for business leaders. One of them being understanding what strategy is, understanding what strategic pricing is. The second theme is all around leadership and creating a culture that helps organizations through challenging times. Um, for example, very specific, a, a chapter on how do I deal with conflict in my organization? What do I do? How can I reframe? How can I use conflict in a good way? Mm -hmm. um, and the third chapter is all around self-care, which is a very interesting concept uh, when it comes to entrepreneurs and business leaders, because we either often forget that this is a necessary ingredient to a fulfilling life, or we uh, just be like, yeah, that's for someone else until okay. we hit the wall and then it's too late, you know? So I figured these three themes are really important. That's why I brought them together and the chapters um, nicely fit into this idea. Um, the book is available as an audiobook as well, which was a total surprise to me. So Wiley, the publisher, um, sent me an email a few weeks back and be like, hey, here are your 10 complimentary audio codes. And I'm like, what? Wow. That is so wild to hear my own thoughts read out narrated by um, Danny Campbell, who has this very distinct voice. You probably have heard an audiobook narrated by him. So that was really nice. awesome. Very cool. That is excellent. And you've got a new book coming out. Yes. Uh, exciting year. Two books in one year, accidentally. Um, the, the second book that comes out this year is called The Strategy Legacy. It comes out in the fall. And it is a book that I wrote to um, shed light on this intersection of leadership and strategy. It basically gives you um, a framework, a thought framework that I call the nine elements of organizational identity. So everything, basically what you could say is it's a buzzword bingo, but I take this buzzword bingo to just clear the field, explain what these terms mean and how they connect I think this is so important because we hear these words thrown around all the time, mission, vision, strategy, goals, targets, systems, values, right. guidelines. What the hell? Yeah. You know, and 
not every one of us has a background in general management. Not, not everyone has a conceptual framework in their minds when they hear these terms. And still, we use them all the time. So first thing I do in the book is to take these terms and define them in a terminology way so that, you, that we use them throughout the book in a consistent way. I then give you a process to bring these nine elements to life using the strategy process in your organization. So you can either use a strategy process and involve the best people that you have and create a strategy, or you use it to create the strategy and everything else in the same context. Mm. So rather than going back to the same people over and over and over again and adding work on top of their uh, you know, full desk again and again, just use this process intentionally and ask yourself how they relate. And they do relate. If you, for example, ask yourself, what is the impact that I want to create with my business based on the purpose that we give ourselves? The question inherently is, how do we then use our strategy to bring that purpose to life, to create that impact? Yeah. So these questions are interwoven. And if we understand them as an integral, uh, in, an, in an integrated way, we can create way more than just a strategy and then a disconnected purpose statement or website and then, oh, we need leadership guidelines. And then we also create those, but they are dispatched. They don't connect. And that is dangerous for an organization because then these things become hallway jokes. People just don't take you serious if you don't come up with something that makes sense in their head. So that's why I created the framework and the process and basically a way of thinking about organizational identity and bringing it to life. Excellent. No, that is so true. I've been on projects before from a, an organizational change management standpoint where you hear those conversations in the hallway. You hear people laughing or rolling their eyes in a meeting. It's like, oh, another management program we're in, right? Oh, yeah. That's where, not the conflict, that's where the resistance comes in. And I always tell the, the leadership teams I'm working with, look for that pocket of resistance and dive into it, right? You want yeah. to understand what you're missing because that's what they're telling you is this doesn't make sense to us. You've missed something. There's a disconnect somewhere. If there is some resistance being shown, don't take that as a bad sign. Take that as a, a good sign and dive in and figure out what that is. As but long right, as I've people seen companies... still talk to you about what they think is missing, it's not too late. Resistance right, exactly. happens when people feel they're not listened to. Yeah. And they just slowly, you know, back out and, and yeah. disengage and they leave. Um, I've seen a lot of companies too, where they'll give their sales and marketing strategy to this company and they'll give their vision strategy to this company and they'll give this to them all of them to put together what we need. And then they try to pull all those pieces together and they never fit. They mm. never fit. Ah. Frustrating. But yeah, so um, the leadership or the uh, strategy legacy, um, you say that's going to be available this fall, right? Is that going to yes. be an audio book too, do you think? Oh, I don't know yet. You know, uh, working with publishers is funny because you never really know what they do with their publishing mm -hmm. rights. But um I think if if I have the opportunity, I definitely want to have this as an audiobook as well. I had so many people reach out to me on LinkedIn and being like, yeah, so it's available as an audiobook. That's so cool. I have this long commute in the morning and I always listen to, to audiobooks. I have this audible subscription or God knows what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and let's be honest, a, a book like, like Next Level Entrepreneurs is about, 200 something pages long. So that's a six hour audiobook. That's a week of commutes for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's every, uh, so many people have half an hour or one hour commute one way. So you can just 
listen to a book like that in a week. And um, yeah, if you if you are more the hardcover fan or the uh, the ebook fan, um, this book is available in all three formats, and the next book will be available in, in at least three formats as well. Nice, very cool, good stuff. All right, let's talk about courage. On the program, we talk about uh, courage. Where do people find the courage to start their own business? Uh, where do they find the courage to overcome the setbacks that they experience? Um, you found yourself um, laid off, right, from a job. You could have tried to find another job, gone back somewhere else. You had the courage to go back to school to create a whole new opportunity for yourself. Tell me about that. Where did that courage come from? I don't want to glorify my own past, to be honest. I think that courage came not through a moment of enlightenment. It came through the necessity of reinventing myself at that point in time. Um, however, it needed a lot of courage because at that point I was, I was in my mid-20s. I was fairly successful before I went back to school. And I fell victim to, you know, the, the status symbols that show you that you were successful. And all of a sudden you realize, I don't have the funds anymore to sustain that lifestyle. And you need to let go. And that hurts. Oh my God, did that hurt back then? I mean, I can now talk about it. It's more than 20 years ago. But, but still, if I think back, you feel exposed you feel vulnerable. And at some point in time, you're just like, yeah, whatever. It is what it is. Um, if I do this in, a, in, a, in an intentional way, I can get back to that lifestyle later if I want to. Um, and that courage, that, that came through um, conversations with my, um, with my partner, with friends, with my parents. But it is not easy. I mean, that's the way. That, that's why we need courage. If it's easy, you don't need courage. Right. If it's easy, everybody would do it, right? But a lot of people don't. They'll they'll get fired from a job and they'll go out looking for the exact same job because that's kind of their identity. That's what they know. They feel comfortable comfortable in that area, right? That's their comfort zone. Very few people stop and say, "What are other opportunities? Where else could I go? What else could I do?" So that does take a lot of courage. Did you have somebody in your life that you can think back and? maybe they had displayed that type of courage um, and you kind of learned from them. I think my mom played a very important role back then um, because she saw something in me that I didn't see myself. She always said that I am wasting my potential by not going to university, but I didn't want to go to university. So I picked a job that I liked Um and that comment, she she wasn't kind of a nagging voice um, in my head, but that comment came back to me from time to time. And I had a conversation with her and, and she told me about opportunities that I didn't even know of when it comes to going back to school as a grown-up. Um, I mean, there are financial implications. Not everyone has the luxury. If, if back then I had, I don't know, maybe two children and a family to support, there, there wouldn't have been a way for me. Um, so courage is let's say contextual if you don't if you can't afford to be courageous um all the courage in the world might not even help you but i was lucky enough to where where courage and opportunity overlapped that's very cool um 
And so the people you work with, um, are you working with the the probably not business owners at that level? Are the business owners or just like the CEOs, the C-level, C-suite? Is that who you work with? That's correct. The executive leadership teams most of the time are the ones that I um, collaborate directly with. Um, the type of business, and in your right, um, it's very seldom that a business owner um, is one person or one family. When we're talking about businesses that size, we're often talking about publicly listed companies. Mm -hmm. So you work with a C-suite and um, that is where the fun begins. I mean, this yeah. is where uh, you have a room full of accomplished individuals that all have their history. Um, they don't have to prove anything anymore. They are in the C-suite already. And still you have these conversations um, where you're like, hmm, I thought we were beyond that um, yeah. ego boosting and all these things. But yeah. I mean, as long as we're human beings in a room, um, there are always different levels of um, self-reflection and self-awareness. And I have to say, I am, I am really happy that I can work with that type of leadership with that level of leadership, because very often these are the people that have seen a lot of things in their career that have done some soul searching that know why they do what they do. So it's a very rich um, environment that I can just throw the seeds on, if you know what I mean, and yeah. um, then be the gardener that nice. helps these seeds grow and helps the conversation create the magic. Nice. Yeah, I work with small to mid-sized companies. Those are a lot of uh, individually owned or family owned, which brings a whole other dynamic yeah. to the table. But still, with with some of the executives, um, when I was a consultant, you have these executives that get into these uh, seed suite positions and they think, now I can make my changes or here I'm coming in with my ideas. But you're right, the the terminology they use, they think they're saying the same thing everybody else is, but their thoughts on on uh, definitions are, are totally different. We used to have to do what we called a crosswalk, mm. kind of like you're talking about. Here are all the terms we're going to use, and here's what they mean here. Regardless of what you used out there, this is what they mean right here to get everybody on the same page. And this so, is one of the reasons I start the strategy legacy with that chapter about terminology, because perfect. it gives them just an aligned way of, okay, if you were start, if you use the term mission, that is what you mean. I get it. So it's not that um, five people in a room use the term strategy in six different ways. Right. Exactly. No, it's, it's a new language almost. You have to set, here are the ground rules for speaking this new language and make sure we're all speaking the same thing. Absolutely. So what do you, what do you look for in a leader? Oh my goodness. Uh, where do we even start? Um, I would say on an executive leadership team level, I look for humility to listen. And that, so that's one end of the spectrum. And the other end of the spectrum is um, strategic acumen, the ability to think and act strategically. Nice. And if you bring those two together, we can formulate the desired future of an organization in very precise ways and be humble enough to accept that we're not there yet and then create, yeah, the way forward together, co-created rather than one leader at the helm screaming this way and everyone else follows, we can co-create something which just multiplies the, um, the leadership afterwards. Because, you know, if you run an, an enterprise with 10,000 or more uh, employees, 
it's basically impossible that you know everything and right. no one in the organization would actually think that you know everything so if you pretend to and be like here we go that's the direction i know the way everyone is like wait a second this world has become a bit too complex for one person to pretend that they know exactly where we should go so once you make it a team um, effort an executive team effort to create a um a strategic framework for the organization you can then use the entire leadership of the organization also in the middle to create your strategic plan, which then everyone can rally around, understand how they contribute to the big picture and then execute that plan. I think these are the two um, fundamental characteristics or qualities of a, of a leader in our, in our uh, day, time and age. Nice. Yeah. And I think you do have to have that one clear, compelling vision that everybody can see and understand and rally around to drive. Um, that's, that's not always easy. You know, people yeah. may have, uh, you've got a CEO who has a kind of an idea of where he wants to go, but he's not clear, crystal clear on it. Do you work with them one-to-one -to, -one to help them clarify that vision? I work with them one-on-one. -on -one. I work with, with the teams. Um, it's not necessarily a good thing when a CEO has a, fully fledged let's call it vision of where they see the business in a few years if they have a rough idea that's enough we can clarify that vision together with the rest of the executive team because everyone in that team is there for a reason they have something to contribute they are brilliant in what they do so let's listen to them and very often when we have these conversations, you see light bulbs going on over the heads of the CEO or anyone else in the C-suite when they realize, yep. yeah, exactly. What you just said was the missing piece in my thinking. And you, you bring these puzzle pieces together. And very often it's more than the sum of the individual pieces that they create, sure. which I love. Yeah. Love that. Um, so in, in your company, do you have a team you work with or are you a solopreneur? I am solo right now. Um, I used to run a business in Europe um, that I helped build from the ground up, um, which is very, very exciting to see a business grow, to hire employees, to expand your reach, to serve larger and larger customers. Um, when I transitioned from Germany to Canada in March 2020, and we all know what happened in March 2020 mm -hmm. was the beginning of the total chaos. Right. Um, I did not really have the opportunity to uh, decide, do I want to rebuild that business that I had in Europe? Do I want to go solo? Um, at that point in time, I had an eight-week-old baby, mm. and that was my entire focus. And sure. um, I, I was running a one-man show at that point in time already, and I just kept it that way. And it helped me to set aside enough time to write books which is extremely difficult when you run a company with um, with a larger team because they mm -hmm. need you, they need something from you. Um, and I just could decide not to work and to write, which gave me the freedom to create um, all these assets that I can now use to help people understand my thinking, to help people align in their organizations. And that is very valuable. I definitely feel lonely uh, from time to time in my business. So running a one-man show or being a solopreneur can feel lonely from time to time, especially when you're writing. It's you, your computer, and nothing else, you know. Yeah. But um, that doesn't mean it needs to stay like that forever. Um, at some point in time, I might start to um, create a larger business again. But that is for some time in the future. Yeah. 
So you had your team in Germany. If I was to bump into any of those folks that used to work for you, if I was to bump into any of the folks that you currently uh, consult with and ask them what type of leader you are, what do you think they tell me? What kind of leader are you? I did a lot of these 360s in my life, you know? So I have heard uh, firsthand what people think um, the type of leader I am. What they value in me is my direct communication. I don't beat around the bush. I tell people what I think. Um, the issue comes with when you are not intentional or conscious enough about how you say things, you can hurt mm. people. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of the, one of the downsides of my uh, communication patterns um, that I've been working on for a long time. Um, I think I'm getting better at it, but um, from time to time, I like to reread these 360 results to remind myself where I might have, you know, um, every, you, you can be the best coach in the world. You still have blind spots, right? Yes, you can't self-coach, but that's the reason why I work with a coach as well. So um, to overcome these um, limiting factors in your own personality is extremely important. Um, doesn't matter on which level you are as a leader. Um, going back to your question, what type of leader would they say I am? So they would say I'm a very directive leader, um, but I can also, when I, when I have trust in people, I just let them run until they ask me for support. Um, and I think this, it's super important to understand who needs what by when from you as a leader. You can't just lead everyone in your team the same way. Some people are further ahead in their um, subject matter expertise. They might even know more than you do about right. their um, specific subject matter. So don't intervene, let them run and just <laughs> clear out the barriers, move away right. the obstacles and give them as much um, space to grow and run as they need. And others need more guidance, more mentorship, more coaching, more training. So I always try to be um, as specific and individualized when it comes to my leadership. That doesn't mean I always succeed. Yeah. That's good, though, to leave it open. Like you said, you hired them for their skills. Let them use their skills. Be there to help them. Be there to coach them. Be there to remove whatever barriers they have, but let them do that, right? Because our, our job as leaders is to create more leaders, not more followers. I actually followers. would like to add something. I didn't necessarily hire people for their skills. I often hire okay. people for their potential, not necessarily nice. because of the skills yep. that they brought. Because um, the industry I operate in, is not an industry that you can learn in school. That's there is just no no formal education for that industry. Yeah. So there is something that you need to see in people. Um, it's their potential. It's their mindset. It's their approach to collaboration and to work in general that qualifies them. The skills you can train um, and the industry they can learn. So that that's probably my five cents when it comes to yeah. hiring. No, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Knowledge and skills, right? Knowledge is a book learning. Skills is the application of the book learning. You can teach that stuff. If you get somebody that fits your culture, somebody shows that potential. Yeah. That's the hire. Very cool. Love that. So what's next for you? You've already done a bunch. You've got your new book coming out this fall. What else is uh, on the horizon for you? <laughs> um, guess what? More books. Um, I'm currently writing on my third book. Um, it's a very different type of book again. Um, I'm 
shedding light on one of these terms that have been thrown around so often and misused so often, especially in a corporate environment, that I wanted to dig deeper um, into the into that topic and um, approach it from an individual perspective, a team perspective, and an organizational perspective. Um, and I'm interviewing thought leaders uh, to understand their thinking around it. So, for example, um, Marshall Goldsmith, Sun mm-hmm. Yin-Xiang, people that have a very specific um, view on the topic. I didn't mention the topic yet, did I? It's, it's no. empowerment. So what does empowerment, empowerment okay. actually mean? Um, yes. How do I empower others? How do I empower myself? Um, and and that, that book hopefully will come out at some point in 2025, maybe end of 2024, but I don't even dare to dream. Um, publishing books is a longer process than yeah. many people realize. Um, so that is that is one of the projects that I'm currently working on. Um, but of course, I, I work a lot with my clients, um, which is super exciting, um, um, especially now that I've been here in Canada for, for three years. Um, business is picking up also here in North America for me. You know, the pandemic is over and um, businesses have more, let's say, forward thinking again, rather than just mm-hmm. firefighting, which brings people like me into the game. And that is a very exciting time for me right now. Very cool. Good stuff. Well, Alex, this has been great. Really appreciate your time. If people want to learn more about you, um, get copies of your books, how can they do that? What's your website? So the book is available everywhere where you buy books, in your favorite bookstores or in your favorite audio bookstore or your favorite ebook store. Um, For example, um, you know, the big ones, but not only there. Um, you can also just go to my website, alexthestrategist.com, or if you dare to write my name, it's <laughs> brookman.ca for Canada. Um, there is a lot of free resources on my website um, that you can benefit from. Obviously, I would love for you to buy the books and read them and take value from them. Absolutely. And you're uh, active on LinkedIn, correct? Oh, yeah. Um, LinkedIn is my favorite social media platform. I'm not on Facebook. Um, and Instagram is more like a, you know, a pastime activity, a guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, but, but LinkedIn is really where I, where you can find me, Alex Brookman. Very cool. All right. I will have those links in the show notes. So people know how to get in touch with you, follow you and definitely, uh, definitely buy the books. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to your books coming out. That'd be great. Alex, thanks again. Really appreciate your time. Arlen, thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, listeners, hope you guys are taking lots of notes, lots of good information here. If you are in the C-suite, definitely consider how you use these terms and use them correctly. Pick up the book, Secrets of Next Level Entrepreneurs, and the new one, The Strategy Legacy, coming out this fall. And uh, share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues, and stick around. There's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. <laughs>